I, I feel very fortunate that I get to choose the clients I work on and the issues I work on with the people I work with. That's a pretty great place to be. Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. My guest today, Amy Gonzalez, started and runs the firm Blueprint Interactive, which helps Democratic campaigns and other progressive clients win by providing digital strategy, messaging, online organizing, fundraising, texting, social media, web development, and targeted advertising. Amy's one of the fairly rare MBAs in political consulting with a degree from the MIT Sloan School. And prior to Blueprint, she served as president of the large direct mail firm MSHC Partners, where she managed the overall business, as well as led their interactive division. Before that, Amy founded and managed the interactive marketing group at Capital One and co-founded a software firm called Strong Numbers and also did some management consulting. We had a good talk about her road in political entrepreneurship. So first my sponsor, then my interview with Amy Gonzalez of Blueprint Interactive. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. So Amy, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? My name is Amy Niles Gonzalez. I am the founder and president of Blueprint Interactive. I started Blueprint in 2010, but my career meandered quite a bit. I was originally working in television out of college, and then I went to business school, and then I worked in management consulting and software. I co-founded a software company and then financial services. I didn't get involved in politics until later in life, in 2006. Uh, from 2006 to 2010, I worked at MSHC Partners, which was a primarily a direct mail firm. I worked on their digital campaigns um, and eventually became the sort of COO, managing partner there. And when MSHC Partners shut down, I started Blueprint. And that's what I've been doing ever since. It's a little bit rare, not unheard of, but a little bit rare in politics to have someone running a firm with the MBA and the kind of background in management and strategy that you have as things rationalize and grow in the space, probably see more and more of that. But I thought it'd be interesting to trace a little bit more of that path that you just told me briefly, if you don't mind. Tell me about that decision to get an MBA. What were you thinking at the time and how valuable was it for you? So when I worked in television, uh, it was when Fox stole football from CBS in the early 90s. That led to pretty big gaps in distribution among CBS stations in football markets. 
And so I worked uh, with a very small team to buy and sell TV stations to fill the gaps in distribution. And I had been a history English undergrad person, not familiar at all with business or with analytics or with strategy. And I just thought it was really interesting, the gamesmanship of it all, filling those gaps. And so that's what led me to pursue a, a business degree. I figured I needed some credentials because I didn't have any if I wanted to do work that was more strategic like this. And I had made the decision very early in life to stop taking math. So I stopped taking math junior year of high school. I had to validate that I had those skills as well. Um, and so that was another reason to get the degree. I was at MIT working on a PhD in political science. I took a class at the Sloan School where you went in entrepreneurship. It was a very different type of class than, than the other ones I'd taken. I'd been computer science undergrad. And I had the idea then to start a company as, as it sounded like maybe you did too. What did you think of that, of what you learned in that program more broadly? That's one of the reasons I chose to go to Sloan was for the entrepreneurship. Um, I participated in the 50K competition, which is now some other K competition, but at the time it was 50K. Both that and the Media Lab really drew me to MIT and to the school. And for me, it was a great experience. I was exposed to all kinds of different opportunities, all kinds of different people. It's a very international environment. It skews very heavily towards engineering uh, folks who have engineering degrees, and that's very different from my background. It also, not surprisingly, skews fairly male, which wasn't necessarily different from my experience, but was a good experience nonetheless to be able to you know, be in the same cohort with those sorts of folks. So uh, it, was, it was a phenomenal experience for me, and it really opened my eyes. My father was a professor and my mother was a social worker, and so my upbringing was very the people we interacted with were other professors. That's who my parents' friends were. So I didn't really know anyone who was in business and I didn't really know anyone who was in politics and I didn't really know anyone who was an engineer. And so, you know, the more people I met, the more opportunities I realized were out there that were really interesting to me. I've always been a very curious person. I always like to have new experiences and meet new people. And this was great from that perspective. Growing up, in that household and through this MBA, were you a political person? Did you pay attention to what was oh, going absolutely. on? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All the way along. Yeah. Through college uh, and beyond, sometimes more, sometimes less, but very much attuned. Um, I, I grew up with political parents. Yeah. Were you partisan? I was democratic, liberal Yeah. all the way through. Yep. When you came out of the Sloan School, why consulting and, and what did you learn from that? It was much the same. I felt like I was still um, exploring. It was a good way to continue learning. It was a good way to continue to meet new people and have new experiences and work with different companies and solve different problems. That same sort of appeal was there as it was in, in prior work, too. I think on the on the left, among people who are not steeped in business, there's a little bit of a negative feeling about the corporate world, about consulting, about business school, about all of this. Did you carry any of that or were you immune to that? I'm not sure I'm fully understanding, but I didn't feel like I couldn't work in politics because I had a business degree. Did you have any hesitation about that kind of business path that you took after a degree in history because of how sometimes people who are political on our side view that world? I, I mean, 
when I got involved in politics, I was pretty oblivious to that bias. So it, it didn't occur to me. I don't think it would have dissuaded me either. In the end, it's, it's given me a sort of unique perspective and it's helped me manage some things along the way. And it's also, I've, you know, complemented my own skills with folks who have more hardcore political experience to round out sort of our offering and our solutions and our strategies for people. And one person can't be all things to all people. You need to have sort of a blend of skills and experiences. And that's one that I can bring and other people can bring others as well. What was Strong Numbers? Strong Numbers was the startup, the software startup I co-founded. That was the company that went through the MIT 50K competition. We were a finalist, so one of seven finalists, and uh, got venture funding out of it. It was a pricing solution for online auctions. So we would take the online auction results and basically read through the text and structure the text to identify the product and then do a best fit regression model to figure out what the fair market value was of that product at a point in time, and then show those trends over time. When we started, there were multiple online auction sites. eBay hadn't really taken over. And by the end, eBay was the dominant site. We ended up selling the software to a company that got purchased to be a plugin for Intuit, TurboTax, to be able to calculate fair market values for uh, tax deductions. So was that a successful run for it? Were you happy with that experience? I mean, it was an incredible experience. I hadn't started a company before. I hadn't raised money before. I hadn't built a team before. It was very much in the dot-com boom. So uh, it got caught up in that. I think there was a viable product in there, but you know, some of the expectations and changes that happened in that space at that time you know, got the better of us. We decided to sell instead of continue to pursue more financing to carry it forward. So we had a successful exit, but we didn't personally profit dramatically from it. Did you have the bug to have your own firm because of that? Or what was your attitude towards entrepreneurship or founding companies? I definitely felt like that experience gave me more confidence the next time I decided to do it, for sure. I mean, starting a company is hard. It's just hard. There's lots of ups and downs. Uh, The highs are really high. The lows are really low. I think it takes a certain sort of person to be able to do that. Probably people who are not necessarily risk averse, right? To be able to actually start a company and run a company successfully. You have to be willing to take some chances along the way. And so, you know, you learn to not be afraid of that. That's what I learned, to not be afraid of that in the experience and that you just got to keep trying. And also maybe not to be afraid of disorder or things not being... Oh, sure. There's so many things outside of your control. Um, I mean, the best entrepreneurs are able to access resources that they really have no direct control over whatsoever um, and sort of uh, get people aligned in a, in a certain direction. You spent four years at Capital One? I did. Tell me about that. We uh, were in Boston. My husband got a position in D.C. and... Capital One was a place that I knew some people from consulting, and so I applied. I worked initially in a strategy consulting role internal, and then I worked in their brand department on digital efforts at the corporate level. Were the things that you learned there valuable later on in in what you do now? Certainly a lot of the digital strategy was valuable. The corporate culture really wasn't a great fit for me personally, and that was probably the, I know I'd worked at CBS but that was probably the most corporate place that I worked. And that 
that wasn't necessarily the best fit for for my personality. Um, but I, I got a lot out of being there too. I've had Hal Malchow on the show a couple times to talk about uh, MSHC partners back in the day for him and work he's done since. And when I used to run NGP, I, I knew of that firm uh, at the same time. What led you to switch industries and go work there? The CEO of Capital One, Nigel Morris, uh, knew how through Senator Warner, when Senator Warner was considering running for president in 2006. And uh, through those connections, that's how I met Hal. It seemed to me like a great opportunity to apply a lot of the skills and knowledge I had, both in management and marketing, to issues that I cared about. I was, at the time, marketing credit cards online. It worked out well for Capital One, but I felt I didn't need to spend my time and energy thinking about that anymore when I could apply myself to issues that I really cared about. And so that's what led me to to switch entirely, to switch fields entirely, but not sort of functional or practice areas. MSHC was a pretty sizable political consulting operation, direct mail mainly, as you said. What was it like when you got there and how did you fit in? I haven't really thought about that that much. I mean, I, I liked the people a lot. I thought the people were great. They were smart. They were interesting. They had great perspectives. I think the model of sort of scaling up and scaling down every two years was, was very taxing on the business and was hard to accommodate. That was the nature of the business, but it, it made it really challenging. In that time there, what were you learning about the political world and how people build firms in that space that was different than what you'd seen before? The firm was largely built when I got there. It had gone through um, some different uh, iterations. At, at that point, it was a matter of how to run it in a way that worked well for, for the partners and the clients and the staff. The growth was very much sort of a curve, right, and up and down over the cycle of the elections. So what kind of things did you have to change? I think I didn't change anything necessarily. I tried to work with people and bring people together. There were pretty strong processes in place. I, I mean, I, I don't think I needed to change everything. I just needed, someone needed to look at it holistically. Why did that firm come to an end? That's really a question for Hal. He didn't want to do it anymore. I guess that's pretty much what he told me. Were you sad at that point? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I really liked the people. I really liked what we were doing. But it was his firm. It was his decision. What came out of that? Didn't a lot of the partners go off and start different yeah, enterprises? Absolutely. Um, uh, Trish and Dean started Pivot. Um, Joel Campaign Workshop. I'm not sure exactly on the timing of all that. Chris Cooper has Convergence. Uh, Rich Slackman uh, has a, a several different endeavors he's been involved in over the years. And uh, you. And me. What's the founding story for Blueprint Interactive? Uh, well, I mean, I had clients, ongoing clients, and I had uh, the interest in continuing to do this work, and I had a team that I liked, and so I thought, well, let's give it a try. So was it was it taking your team, your employees? Some of them. And and then hiring other people as well? Over time. Yeah. Uh, so how big, how many people came with you along to that startup? A handful. Did you change what you were doing? Did you make different offerings? What was the first sort of work that you were doing when you got going? 
I mean, the first work was work we carried over, so it was advertising and websites. Over time, we incorporated more services from fundraising services, social media, strategy, video production. And, and over time, we've, we've broadened our offerings to be more full service in digital space, but it was always digital. We've been able to, to do more things for our clients over the years because of the clients we had at the beginning, honestly. What gets you excited about the space that you're in, if anything? I mean, I love that it's always changing. I love working with clients to try new things. I like to improve upon what's been done. I, I struggle with doing the same thing over and over again. That's just hard for me. And digital typically allows you the opportunity to, to learn and try and test and analyze and optimize in a way that I find really, really enjoyable. I still like the issues. I still like the people. I tend to work less with direct candidates and more with on the issue side. And that's more where my passion lies. When I look at your website and some of the client examples that you have on there, it's really a strong group of clients, really uh, important people for the Democratic side and, and allies. What's an ideal client for you? An ideal client is someone who has a long-term goal, who does like to try new and different things, who does like to be creative, who does uh, really collaborate with us. I like to work closely with my clients. I don't like to be sort of hands-off. A, a true partner. What's an example of one that you've really felt was great to work with and did good things together? I mean, we've worked with Planned Parenthood for almost the entire time we've been together. And that's been a great relationship over the years. Different people at different points in time. But I felt really good about the work that we've done together. Anything in particular? I mean, the defund campaign was a almost year-long campaign trying to stop the legislation that would have defunded Planned Parenthood and mobilizing supporters and activists to contact legislators and senators and keep that momentum up and keep that drumbeat up all the way till John McCain gave a thumbs down. I mean, that was a, that was a great campaign. How do you view the competitive space? There's a lot of progressive digital firms out there. I've talked to founders of a bunch of them. How do you see where you guys fit in? Yeah, it's certainly become more competitive over time, not just with standalone digital firms. For a while, mail firms were trying to offer digital services. Now TV firms are offering digital services. I think that speaks both to the need for uh, more digital in the political space, that the space can support so many digital firms, but that certainly has led to increased competition. Do you view your competitors as strong practitioners, or do you think that you guys are a lot better? How do you see things? I think there's a mix of folks out there. Some folks really specialize in certain aspects of it. Some folks are more full service like we are. A lot of politics comes down to relationships and having relationships with people determines in many ways the clients you end up working with and building those relationships over time is really important. So I've seen relationships drive um, engagements. And I think that's not unique to politics necessarily, but that certainly has been a part of how this industry has grown and evolved over time. If you were advising another political entrepreneur in the space about how to cultivate those relationships or how to be a good citizen within the consulting community, what would you suggest? Meet as many people as you can. It's been a little harder in the last couple of years with the pandemic, but um, that's a big part of building that network and making those relationships over time. I mean, we've focused on quality in our work. 
I mean, that's above all else is making sure we're doing the best possible work for our clients and really focusing on ensuring they win. Um, so that drives our decisions and that's sort of the frame we take to the clients we work with. So I think that that's served us well over the years. I, I think that's an important thing to do. Um, we've also sought to have a, you know, a real diversity in our staff and bring in people with different experiences and perspectives, much like I mentioned earlier, around the need to have a sort of combination of skills and experience and bringing that in through different people. We've taken that approach, not just to the political side, but you know, creative talent, technical talent, strategic talent, people who can produce videos, people who can copyright, people who are immigrants, people who identify in different ways, different skin tones. I mean, that's all very important to have that convergence of different perspectives to be able to um, create the best possible work. How many people do you employ now? About 30. Do you have a cyclicality in your employment or are you able to keep, keep a... a modest one? Nothing like what we had back in the day. Yeah. But there is a little bit. Do you do email fundraising? We do. There's a lot of controversy around how aggressive people are with that. You're well aware of all that. I'm, I'm certain. What's your position on how firms ought to operate and how do you guys operate? We are very much in the mindset that the email content needs to be genuine, authentic to the sender and not alarmist. So we, you know, work hard to, to reflect that in all the communications that we do. We don't typically practice or really at all, the sky is falling sort of mentality of some of the email emails that are out there. And we seek to grow um, our clients' lists, you know, over time in a, in a way that will serve them for the long haul. What do you think of the folks who don't have that mindset, who are uh, raising money in uh, a less careful way and maybe in a way that's not uh, good for the space more broadly? Clearly, we wouldn't, we don't do that. So we don't, you know, sanction that kind of an approach. There's a sort of short-term view and a long-term view, and that tends to be a, a short-term view. And that's not the view we've taken. So it's not something we practice. What else do you think people ought to know about Blueprint Interactive that they don't know? What are the, do you think are the, might be a big misconception about what you do? Or what can you, how can you explain your offering? I'm not really sure how to answer that. I don't know what people don't know. <laughs> if someone is running a digital part of a, of a progressive organization or starting a, a congressional campaign or something like that, what questions should they ask about digital firms in order to pick the right one? Yeah, I mean, some of them are the questions you're already asking, right? So how do you think about this strategically? How do you like to work with people? I mean, there's the tactical things like how do you build a media plan and how do you think about media mix and how do you think about targeting and how do you think about those sorts of things? But then there's more of the strategic or philosophical elements that you've been asking about. How do you think about fundraising? How do you think about persuasion advertising? How do you develop your staff? How do you treat your staff? Where does your staff come from? Those are things that we're often asked when we pitch as a leader of this firm, what do you think your strengths and weaknesses are? I think I value and trust my staff. I think I'm a very good listener. Um, I think I've been good about making um, choices at, at times that have been difficult. My main weakness is that I will fill the space. So if I want something done, I sometimes roll up my sleeves and do it myself and don't wait for my team to catch up to me. So I'm a little bit ahead of them. 
uh, works in the short term, but in the long term is uh, not the best way to go. What's been the biggest challenge in building it, building this firm? I mean, I don't think it's a different challenge than, than anyone has. It's recruiting really good staff and retaining staff and developing them. I mean, I think that's not necessarily a challenge for this firm. I think that's a challenge with any firm. Is it harder to recruit and retain staff than it is to recruit and retain clients? Uh, at this moment, it is, yeah. Do you have more work than you can do out there? or We've, we've been turning down work. Why would you turn down work? Because we can't uh, be sure we can do it well. Yeah, that's, I think that's fairly unusual, probably smart, but fairly unusual for people to keep their standards high and and sacrifice growth or business on that regard. I can't speak to whether or not it's unusual. It just strikes me that that's the right way to think about it. When you think about the midterm coming up and the presidential beyond it, what do you sense going on and how do you fit your firm into this political moment? The vitriol is unprecedented. The divide is greater than I think it ever has been. And it's very hard to think about closing that um, in any way electorally or politically or legislatively. Some of the things that that I see happen are, you know, just appalling. I, I'm speaking politically. I'm not speaking about other digital firms or anything. I'm thinking about being disrespectful to people at the State of the Union and screaming. I mean, I know people have done it before, but it's just... Ugly. It's really ugly. Yeah, it's really ugly. Um, and I don't know how we as a country get past that. How much do you get pulled into that? Like, do you have clients that want to... I mean. The vitriol isn't only on the other side. Sometimes we have people on our side who, you know, feel strongly about their position and and want to advertise their strong opposition to what they see. And some of that is part of the polarizing that's going on. How do you deal with that if it comes up? It harkens back to being sort of authentic and true to who you are. And if that's part of who you are, then that's part of what you do. We work with clients who have um, who have more strident views and clients who have less strident views. But um, in general, I believe our clients are working from a, a genuine place and not, you know, practicing stunts for stunts sake or fundraising sake or not inciting mobs to storm the Capitol. Like, you know, that we don't work with anyone who does anything like that. Yeah. What do you think of the consultants on the other side who do? I, I don't really know them. Have you had to change anything in how you advise people or do work in this time of Trump and Trumpism? I mean, practically speaking, we've ramped up our security of our infrastructure and our systems and our, our websites and our analytics and, you know, just making sure that we are protecting our clients from that perspective. From an advice perspective, I don't know that we've necessarily changed the advice that we give other than to, you know, be sensitive to the world that we're in and, and consider that as we give advice in that moment to those folks. A lot of the prognosticators think that we're kind of inevitably bound for a bad, bad midterm. Does it feel like that when you talk to your clients that are on the front lines that are defending difficult seats and, and such? But, I mean, you've seen that with all the incumbents who've dropped out, right? Did you lose clients to a couple? Dropped, yeah. 
Mm -hmm. do, you, do you think they dropped out because they thought they were going to lose? Sometimes or because they, you know, didn't want to do it anymore. Right. What they started doing is not what they're doing now. And maybe it's time for someone else to, to take up the mantle. Amy, what keeps you in this business? You've now been through a, a bunch of political cycles. There are people who do that for the rest of their lives. And there are people who kind of burn out on it. Where are you? I'm probably in the middle of that. There are parts of my job that I really enjoy. I, I love the team that we have. I genuinely like the type of work that we do. I like that it's creative and analytic. I believe that we're trying to make the world a better place. And that's something that motivates me. As long as all those things continue, then those are this is what I'm going to want to keep doing. I, I feel very fortunate that I get to choose the clients I work on and the issues I work on with the people I work with. That's a pretty great place to be. It is. Um, you have a, a kind of a subdued manner of speaking, uh, which I, I kind of relate to, I think. And it, it makes it a little hard for me to figure out like where the passion lies with you. Where does it lie? I have been told before that I'm more of a reserved speaker. So <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not news. Does that impact selling? Like, you know, like a lot of your, your more salesy uh, heads of companies go in and work a room. I mean, everyone has their own style that works. I, I Sure. I mean, that's, that's patently not me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just not who I am. I, I work with people and I solve problems. That's the strategic way I connect with people. And that's how I've built my practice. I'm not a salesperson. I don't come in with swagger. I don't tell you something and then not deliver on it. That's not who I am. I'm very much what I, you know, I say what I believe and I deliver on what I say I'll do and I'll do, you know, the very best I can uh, for you to, to achieve what you need. That's what you do. Do you ever lose your temper at staff? Do you ever yell? No, yeah. no, I don't yell. It doesn't feel like you, I just, in the short time we've been talking, I just can't imagine it. And I think that, I mean, that's a good thing. I can think on my hand the number of times I've yelled at my children. I just don't yell. I love that, that there are so many different kinds of personalities that can be successful in this world in leading and managing and being an entrepreneur. I relate strongly to that. I remember having a competitor scope out some panel I was on and wrote a note that got passed to me somehow saying, I don't understand how this guy could sell anything. And yet, uh, you know, sold some political software. Takes all that. kinds. It does. Um, is there a question that I haven't asked you that I should have? Yeah, I don't have much more for you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Anything else you want to say? No, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Okay. That was Amy Gonzalez. Amy is at blueprintinteractive.com. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found. <laughs>